me not mm-hmm. doing yeah, the yeah. colouring in on a website. You know, and, and <laughs> yeah. although as we talked about was, earlier on, the colouring in on a website can be very important. Welcome to episode 23 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably asking yourself, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly dose of marketing street knowledge. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or at Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 14th of August. I'm very glad you're here. I hope you've had a good week, that you're staying safe, well and as sane as you feel you need to be. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If it's your first time, thank you for giving us a go. If you like what you hear, please drop us a rating or a review. Or maybe you have a suggestion on a topic or someone we should chat to. We'd love to hear from you. I'm sticking to the usual set list. I'll dip into the virtual pages of Rockstar CMO and pull out something that rocks from our wonderful contributing community. As promised last week, we start a new two-part interview series with Phil Lewis, MD of Corporate Punk, a management consultancy that isn't. As you'll discover, it's just a bit different. And he'll share what he's learned from working in the C-suite of many organizations as we discuss the plight of the CMO. And we wind down the week with a cocktail and some smart conversation with my friend Robert Rose in the virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Let's get started, shall we? This week, as I delve into the virtual pages of Rockstar CMO, I would like to point you at an article from a new chum of mine, Keith Smith who runs The Advertist and has a podcast of his own called The Fuel, which is aimed at business development professionals. If you're a regular listener, I chatted to Keith back in episode six, and he's a regular contributor to Rockstar CMO. And his writing style is definitely not what you read in those other marketing publications. It's very entertaining. My copy editor loves getting his articles, and they are pretty much on point with the Rockstar vibe. Which brings me to his latest article. Just the title tells you what you're in for. There ain't half been some clever bastards quoting Ian Jury and written for the latest issue called The Miseducation Lauren Hill, which you may remember was themed around marketing education. Keith sets the article up with a poke at Mark Ritson's ardent belief that we marketers would be a better and more respected profession if we studied a bit, but quickly slips into a music analogy, which of course we love here on Rockstar CMO. He makes this point, and I quote, for me, marketing is like music. The low barrier to entry means that true creatives can play in the same sandbox as marketers with long strings of letters after their name. That inspiration overrides book smarts. Lennon and McCartney, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, all famously weren't qualified musicians. But they are some of the undisputed greatest songwriters of all time. He then goes on to explore where the qualifications make us better marketers, making the point that we are in an industry where a 12-year-old can command an audience of millions and drive a market share for a business with a single mention. Take a look. I'd love to know what you think. Incidentally, that issue also shares the views of some excellent marketers that do have qualifications. For example, Dr. Christine Bailey, who I chatted to last week. It's an interesting topic and we cover many of the views there in that issue. Keith's article, as I said, is in our latest issue, which you'll find on our homepage. And of course, I'll include a link to it in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. 
Right, on to the interview. Phil Lewis is the MD, founder and principal at Corporate Punk, described as a management consultancy that isn't. He's a regular contributor to Forbes, sharing his opinions and experience on leadership and specifically how to lead businesses that can thrive in a world of endless change. I'll let Phil tell you more about that and the experiences that led him to found Corporate Punk. Let's say hello to Phil. Welcome, Phil, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm very good. How are you, Ian? I'm doing very well. For a change, we've got a bit of sunshine here in the UK. Yes. Um, well, I'm in I'm in central London where it's just muggy. So I always think Ooh. about two or three. I'm, I'm from the north, so anything north of about 25 degrees, I just stop coping. So yeah, it's <laughs> not not exactly my favourite time of year. All right. So um, tell us a bit about yourself, Phil. There you are. You're in London. We're both um, we're both obviously in the UK. Um, what uh, what is it that you do? So I started my career in marketing, did about 10 years in that, moved into management consulting. Uh, so I saw sort of what I would consider to be quite a, the creative end of business. And then I saw the business end of business and hmm. found them kind of both lacking for what the other had, if that makes any sense. And, yeah. um, and about six, seven years ago, realized that I wasn't interested in doing either of those things anymore. And um, what I was interested in was why is it that we have organizations and we build organizations that don't allow talent, ideas, energy, passion, and intellect to surface in the right way. So I'd spent most of my marketing career and also my consulting career working with incredible people, like really, really bright, really energized people who had loads of value to give to their organizations and, and actually in many cases to the, the clients and other organizations that they're working with. And yet we seem to be uniquely good at building you know, systems, processes, structures, cultures, whatever, in which they you know, worked. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that didn't allow any of that to kind of come to the surface. So about six, seven years ago, I started to go, why is that? And what do we do about it? And to cut a very long story, very short, that led me to found a business called Corporate Punk, which mm-hmm. for the last six or seven years has been working with clients in the area of organizational change. So helping them build organizations in which they're talent, energy, passion, intellect, ideas, whatever you want to call it, can properly surface and, and, and surface in a way that, you know, is as scalable as the organization itself often is. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And um, obviously, uh, with a with a name like Rockstar CMO, we were obviously very attracted to the, the name Corporate Punk. Tell us a bit about where that came from. Do you know, if I had my time again, I am not sure I would call the business <laughs> Corporate Punk, Ian. Um, and I'll tell you for why. I think I think the, 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 the wrong association is the one that people jump to a lot of the time, which mm-hmm. is, um, which is you know, uh, that we're going to come in and start kicking over the bins. Um, which, you know, if you've met me, I mean, I'm sort of six foot one guy who should be in a missile, Mr. Muscle advert. And most of the people who work with me are very (laughs) sort of sensitive kind of, you know, coaches and consulting types. We're the least likely people on the planet to, uh, to walk in somewhere and start kicking over the bins. And there's actually a serious point behind that, which is that for a lot of consultants, um, you know, we have this kind of mantra of first do no harm, like a Hippocratic oath. And a lot of consultants yeah. do go in and actually create a lot of chaos. And, and we try not to do that. So the punk idea, though, is really about how do you help an organization be at its most authentic, energized, natural best? 
and how do you help it you know be the fullest and most um well-expressed version of itself if that makes sense and that's what i kind of promise to clients is you know we talk about the change you need up and running in three weeks is our core promise it's like right. you can you can unleash your energy and authenticity if you if you get out of your own way yeah, and yeah. and and that's where the name comes from and that's the nature of work that we do so you're more like punks that pick up the bins rather than kick them over. If that doesn't sound like too much of a too much of a contradiction <laughs> in terms, do you want to go back to punk? I mean, direct action, right, was a yeah. huge part of punk, and authenticity yeah. was a huge part of punk, yeah. and you know, and and sort of standing against the sort of bombast and pomposity of yeah. how a lot of business gets done was part of punk, and I think in all those ways we are, you know, yeah. we are a great representation of that. Yeah, and I'd encourage people to take a look at your website because that's very different as well, isn't it? From the normal sort of corporate bollocks stuff. Do you know, we spent six months building the most beautiful looking thing you've ever seen. It yeah. was like this beautiful, like 1970s influenced, like fantastic colorways, looked like the world's most cutting edge innovation consultancy. And yeah. uh, yours truly sat there on a Friday night and scrapped everything. And I just went, you know what? <laughs> None of this is real. Like, if we're as good as we say we are, we don't need any of that artifice. So, so was there, no logo. Was there, was there an adult beverage involved in that Friday it night? Actually, there genuinely wasn't. It was like literally this moment of realization of like, I don't. Yeah. We don't need a logo. We need yeah. one font, one yeah. colorway, and the yeah. truth. And it was literally kind of our version. Go back to punk. It was our version of three chords and the truth. You know, yeah. and um, and but it was this realization, this belief that, um you don't need all of the bombast and all of the artifice. Mm. You just need to be able to communicate with people very directly and very honestly. And again, that feels like a true representation of our work. You know, I genuinely yeah. feel like the website is our values in action, you know, yeah. and, and it sounds bizarre. It is the most divisive website on the planet. Like people actually genuinely either really love it or really hate it for the most <laughs> part. And I'm good with that, Ian. I'm quite Absolutely. comfortable with that. You know, at the end of the day, Absolutely what it, it is what it is and yeah. and if you get on with it you're likely to get on with us and if you don't yeah. get on with it you're not likely to get on with us and i'm very comfortable with that you know uh, i didn't expect to have a long conversation about your website but so many points you made there are so relevant to marketing today the cutting out the bullshit and being very direct about who you are and this idea that you put something out there that's very genuine about you some people are not going to like it and you have to be comfortable with that you're, you can't be different and be liked by everybody well, I operate on the thousand raving fans theory of business, nice. to be quite yeah. honest, which is, you know, I would rather have a thousand people worldwide think that we were brilliant than yeah. have a hundred thousand people go, yeah, mm. all right. You know, <laughs> and, and I genuinely, genuinely believe that. And, yeah. you know, we have a 90% client retention rate in our business. But one of the mm. reasons that we have a 90% client retention rate in our business is because we tend to our clients tend to be fairly self-selecting you know they as i said earlier on they'll read what we're about they'll read the stuff that we pump out on forbes and various other places yeah. and they'll go that's either completely for me and i buy it or or it really isn't and i am again i'm really comfortable with that because because I want us and we all want to be able to genuinely help people. So making sure you've got values alignment making sure you've got good solution fit making sure that 
you know, what you stand for, all of those things you should have in common with the people you're trying to help with your customers. If mm-hmm. that's the case, you, that predicts a happy and harmonious relationship. And I think that does start with the signals that you put out into the market on things like your website. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, I'll include a link to your website in the show notes, obviously, but it's easy to find on Corporate Punk. But let's get to the topic that I actually wanted to discuss you discuss with you. I mean, we got introduced a couple of weeks ago, and we were just chatting away. And one of the things I really enjoyed about our conversation was that we were talking about why CMOs don't become CEOs. And then I was like, you've got to come on Rockstar CMO FM, because this is really important, I think, to our audience. So why don't we start with that, that question? In your experience, why aren't CMOs becoming CEOs? Well, I think there's actually a number of reasons for this. I think there's probably about there's probably about four or five reasons we can we can explore mm-hmm. in. I mean, I think I think if we start off and probably make the points that have been made before before we get into some potentially some slightly new territory. I mean, look, I think I think reason number one is. Um, and this is this is where marketing, I think, has something in common with HR. Actually, it's mm-hmm. in many organisations still regarded as a second order yeah. discipline, right? It's held as a nice, not need to have. I mean, look, at the time of recording this, we are what three or four months into the probably the defining economic event of the next ten years, if not beyond, mm-hmm. in the coronavirus crisis and all the economic issues that have rolled off that mm-hmm. and the number of clients still where faced in a downturn marketing budgets are one of the first things to get cut um is astonishing to me you know i still sit here as mm-hmm. a kind of ex-marketeer and think to myself the time in many businesses is to double down on marketing it's to double down on you know when you go when you go out to market but that's still not happening and i think this second order thing you know, is, is still very present. There's other ways it presents itself as well. I mean, in certain B2B organizations, the the people people drag and drop product out of marketing. So product is held in a lot of tech organizations to be incredibly important, but marketing actually mm. sits something different to that, even though, of course, product itself is a subset of marketing, or at least should be, you know, how you define your value proposition, how you take that to market being kind of nestled in together. So I think, I think that there is this, there is this sort of problem marketing being second order. That means in the end, marketing people are lower in status than their colleagues in, I don't know, say operations, sales, or finance. And that has an impact on, on their leadership prospects. And just to say one of the thing on this, I think it's, I think it's important that one of the reasons that, marketing remains lower order is it has a in many again in many cases marketeers simply aren't working hard enough to connect the value that they bring to their organization with the language that their boards can understand mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's a very data rich discipline it's become increasingly data rich since digital technology um yeah. you know got a hold yeah. but but um there are still real gaps, I think, in organi- a lot of organizations in appreciation between the value that's marketing is bringing. And you know, to give you an example of that, I mean, you know, this, this could dive into a conversation quite quickly about econometrics, say, and the inaccessibility of that for a lot of clients. But, but you know, if you're making investments in brand, let's just talk about it at a simple level, you're making investments in brand. Um, 
absent a kind of attribution model that then says, okay, for every investment we make in growing the right set of associations with our brand and the right availability for our brand, here's the impact that that, that has on the top line and the bottom line. Without that probably quite complex and long-term bit of thinking being done, then, then you know, you're in a position where where marketing is not necessarily being seen to be adding as much demonstrable business value as other disciplines. And again, as I said earlier on, it becomes a nice not need to have. So I think that kind of lack of doing that very data-driven, very discipline-oriented work in making sure that spend in marketing is ultimately translated to, you know, top and bottom line value. And again, it's different category by category. One talks, the danger of talking too generalistically here, I think. Um, Without having done that work, though, again, that's only reinforcing that perception as marketing as a second order discipline. So that's kind yeah. of reason number one. And I think, and I think in the end, you know, if you've got relatively low status people in marketing versus other people on the board, well, they're not naturally the ones that then feel like they are they're self-selecting for promotion. So yeah. you may have a totally different view, but you know, all I can do is, no, is I agree. What I think I, we see. I know. No, I agree completely with that. Um, and I've, and that's been a little bit of a narrative of some of the other previous podcasts and some of the things that um, I've talked about is that this is why we've got the rise of the chief growth officer is because the CMO hasn't grasped their role in terms of building revenue and the things the C-suite cares about, right? Um, mm. and, so, and so you're seeing them pushed aside a little bit uh, for, for, for these different roles, which are much more commercially orientated. So I completely agree. I mean, I completely agree with the fact that, that um, but, and the other thing is, is that the investment in marketing needs to be seen as strategic. And like you say, not second order. Yes. I, no, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. And you, yeah. you're right, actually, your point about the chief growth officer is well made. It's a bit like my points about people in product. You know, yeah. these are, these are marketing or marketing adjacent disciplines yeah. and it is interesting that the marketeers get elbowed aside in, in, in <laughs> that context now again you know from an organizational design point of view there can be reasons why having a cgo or a cpo makes sense alongside having somebody that that runs marketing but i think if we are examining the, the question about why is it marketeers don't become ceo we we need to acknowledge the fact that you know, we need to acknowledge the fact that there's that kind of role dilution going on all over the place. Yeah. And that's far from the only reason, you know? No, I just want to pick up, and I, and I know we're only on reason one, but I just want to pick up on the little phrase you used there that I think is pertinent is runs marketing, right? The, 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 the leader of marketing seemed to be the leader of an execution piece of the business, of, of making the website happen, that kind of stuff, not as a strategic partner in the direction of the company. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I mean, I think, I think again, it's horses for courses. I think if we were talking about, you know, FMCG clients, for example, I'm sure there are marketeers there who are, who are very much leading, if not for yeah. business, they're part of a business. But in a lot of other organizations, what you're saying holds true. So when I use the word runs, I'm not yeah. talking about from an executional standpoint. For me, the job okay. of running anything is a leadership job at the end, which is to say, you know, set strategy, be able to influence how that strategy connects across the organization up and out of marketing, making sure that a team of people is, 
configured appropriately both within marketing and outside of it in order to deliver against that strategy and then yes of course uh-huh. make sure that that's driven through into execution and critically make sure the right feedback loops and, and measurement is in place around all of that so you're building up a kind of learning capability when i talk about running marketing that's what i mean not uh-huh. doing yeah, the yeah. coloring in on a website you know and, and <laughs> yeah. Although, as we talked about uh, earlier on, the colouring in on the website can be very important as well. I think I, yeah, I, yeah. I genuinely do things, and this is this is this is going to take us off down a rabbit warren if we're not careful. <laughs> but I have a particular bugbear about the fact that, in general, creative what are seen to be creative disciplines are seen to be second order as yeah. well or lower order. And I think it goes back to schooling. You know, I think mm. I think the way that you know. We, we teach people, we, there's a whole conversation about we're not necessarily through our education system breeding um, creative thinkers we're, we're, and people who will question, we're building people who, we're, we're creating people who are good at passing exams. And that even within that, the career choices that are sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly communicated to people, you know, whether you're going into, you can talk about health, you can talk about law, you can talk about um professional services such as accounting you know that they are traditionally they've been high status career yeah you know whether they're vocations or not they've been high status career choices whereas the idea of being a creative thinker a creative person mm-hmm. has not been something which has been championed in education and our education system does yeah. not necessarily breed people with the skills to do that so again you know one of the complexifiers in all of this is that by the time the marketeer even hits the organization the way that people have been primed to think is that as as quote unquote a creative discipline it perhaps matters a bit less than than Mm. some of the other disciplines and that goes right back to schooling yeah 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 and you're absolutely right and i think um we actually had this as a theme for the last issue of rockstar cmo where we were talking about whether it's important for marketers to have a good marketing education and i think that you're making a slightly different point here about the importance of being creative, and and that is that doesn't even feature in that conversation. If you if you look at marketing education, it isn't about being creative. It is about that industrial age thinking that you're talking about, which works for other disciplines, which is turning people into office workers, isn't it? So I've been look. I mean, I've been involved in a very very innovative educational organisation called School Twenty One. Has now become big education for the last six or seven years. And the founding yeah. principle of School Twenty One was teaching kids a thousand years of kings and queens doesn't help them prosper in the twenty first century. <laughs> and what this school is teaching is creative thinking, collaboration, project management, and critically, oracy, which is the discipline of being able to speak and communicate well, which again, Mm -hmm. we talk about reading, writing and arithmetic. We don't necessarily talk about, we don't necessarily talk about, about oracy and yet Mm -hmm. being able to persuade through what we say is Mm -hmm. as a critical, a skill in business now as any other that you'd want to be able to talk about, arguably the most critical skill outside of problem solving. And And, and we're not teaching that. Yeah. And it's also not just, in person-to-person situations now is it i mean look at us we're chatting on a podcast um the rise of voice as uh, as a means to purchase uh, to to learn you know the, the voice is going to become incredibly important anyway isn't it well it is and you know working with this school i mean i'm a strategic advisor to the 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 the, the founders and the trust I'm doing it doing it for a few years now working mm-hmm. for this school has been has been fascinating because 
you are able to see. So I'll just give you one example and then we'll move on. But, you know, I remember walking in, this stayed with me for years. I remember walking into their kind of, I was, you know, as a, as a volunteer, I'm a volunteer at school. As a volunteer, mm-hmm. I was invited in for this day and I saw these three self-portraits hanging on the wall, right? And three paintings. And it was like, and, and the Peter, the executive head, said to me, Phil, he goes, how old do you think these kids were? And I went, oh, presumably what, five, seven, and eight, right? Yeah. And he went, no, 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 four, four, and four. It's the same child, six wow. weeks apart. And I was like, how does that even work? And he said, well, basically what happens at school normally is that little Johnny paints a picture, right? And everyone mm-hmm. pats little Johnny on the head and goes, well done, what a great picture. And the conversation moves on. What they do in this school is they'll sit down and go, right, now let's get into self-criticism around this. What was good about the picture you created and what wasn't good about the picture you created? The kid goes, oh, I've left off the nose, you know. Yeah. And it's like, right, go again. Go again wow. two weeks later and go again two weeks later. And, and it's things like that, which is actually teaching children, you know, the practical application. Well, practical. It's actually teaching children how to be creative, how to be self-critical, yeah. how, to, how to develop themselves. That's the stuff education needs to pay attention to. And we're okay. not teaching it in most schools at the moment. Our exam system isn't, um, isn't geared towards it. And, and, yeah, and this brings us on to something else that I think is genuinely relevant to, to the question of why CMOs don't become CMO. You, yeah. CEO, sorry. You then put somebody who is leading what is notionally a creative thinking or an innovative discipline into an organization and they've got tremendous abilities that actually have an organization-wide application but the organization itself the business the board isn't programmed to be able to understand or intuit the value of that the way they can mm-hmm. say accounting mm-hmm. or whatever and, and as i say I, I can see a through line of that being connected right back to what happens when we're four five and six years old that is that that is amazing and you were right about it being a rabbit hole but what a wonderful rabbit hole we went down there um so i think that was our first reason why uh cmos don't become ceos what was the second i think there's something for me about marketeers by nature tend to focus more on external customers than internal ones so if you actually look at ceo role right you would go what does a CEO need to focus on? Well, a CEO has, has multiple constituencies that he or she has to focus on. So, yes, there's the customer, but also there's the board, and there can be a real relationship that needs managing, particularly with the chair of that board. There are investors, don't forget, and shareholders. There are influential stakeholders, depending on the nature of the organization, and there are employees. Mm-hmm. And And in many instances, lots and lots and lots of employees. <laughs> so you've got this incredibly kind of complex landscape of people to interact with. I remember hearing the uh, CEO, the then CEO of Coca-Cola a few years ago speak, and he said, um, he said, my job is really to influence those around me so that they lead the business better. And I was really struck by that definition of CEO as being a being the ability to influence, or, or, or that's, that's what he saw. He saw that the job was... It was too big to control. All they could do was influence. And actually, wow. that ultimately, he wasn't actually involved in leadership or management. What he was doing was getting everybody else to lead and manage the business, and his job was to influence them. So you kind of go, okay, well, let's go back into the world of the marketeer, right? Outside of the ruthless customer focus that most marketeers bring to the table, and outside of 
stakeholder influence and management to the extent that it helps the marketeer meet his or her agenda. Uh-huh. I believe there to be some gap around I as a marketeer need, you know, how do I have a fully rounded skill set in the way that I've just described in terms of my ability to understand, anticipate, and satisfy the needs of all of those different constituencies. A lot of marketeers aren't that practiced at managing investors, for example. A lot of marketeers aren't that practiced at managing difficult situations with employees at kind of a policy and practice level. And it's those sorts of things in the end that I think that's a that's a big old skills gap when you get into the role of the CEO. I think that that is again, this is fascinating. The, the but what I'm hearing when you're when you're talking about this is I'm hearing that these are skills that marketers have. They just need to apply them differently and turn them in inwardly rather than I mean, if you think about our role, our role is to influence people, right? Our our role is to understand people's needs, to understand what's the best answer for their question. If we applied that internally to the executives around us, then all the things you've just said, right, could could easily be skills that CMO could have. Well, I mean, marketeers are experts at inspiring positive behavior change. Mm. That's what that's what marketeers do. It's literally their reason for being. In, mm. in a lot of organizations. But perhaps maybe it's because it's that lower order status thing coming back again, Ian. But, but yeah. a lot of the time, marketeers aren't proactively seeking to transfer the those behavior change skills yeah. in the context of organizational change. And no one else is seeking to think that value from them either. People aren't right. going, so somebody in HR, for example, who's got an internal comms job to do, isn't necessarily going to a CMO or to a marketing director going, you know, that thing, you know, you've been (laughs) selling that thing really well for a few years. You've been getting people, you've been convincing people of the need for that for a few years. How do we, what have you learned from that that we could use inside this organization? You know, that the marketeer's skill set isn't necessarily being applied within as much as, as much as without. And I'll come on and talk about that a bit more because there's another, there's another nuance on that that we can, we can explore usefully. But I totally agree with you. It's like, you know, it's like this lack of focus on, on internal customers also equates to a lack of ability to bring the fullness of what the marketeer is actually capable of delivering within the organization mm-hmm. you know it's it's, it's mm-hmm. and it's a bit it's a it's a problem mm. right okay well that's two right um i wonder if you'd mind if i split this into two episodes so i think that we're gonna um i think the next two we're probably gonna <laughs> need another 20 minutes on this that's all right um so do you mind if we part this for a moment and then return to that in the next episode no of course all right excellent well i'm gonna hit you just to um to as the final question on this particular episode I want to hit you with a question that I ask all of our guests, and that is that we have, and I think that we've probably started touching on some of the things that might push your buttons in this discussion so far, but we have a regular feature called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, where we throw all the snake oil bullshit and dodgy faddy practices in marketing. Um, It's not quite as um, intelligent as what you've just been talking about, uh, but it's a bit of fun that we do. So what would you throw into our Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool? Um, Bad ethnography. So, so, you know, years and years ago, ethnographic research was all about, I'm going to disappear off with an Amazonian tribe for five years and learn what makes them tick, right? 
and understand their social orders and their customs and their rituals and all the rest of it. And and I think these days, a lot of what ethnography really means is I'm disappearing off to interview a housewife in pool for half a day with a video camera or an iPhone, right? Uh-huh. And and I think it's that it's that sort of a very real thing, which is ethnography being filleted by you know people that have a little bit of knowledge about what that real thing actually is and see a tactical application of it in you know the discipline of marketing so so i would say you know i would say i would say bad ethnography in that context but actually we could talk about any number of things which are real academic disciplines or real management disciplines that we're seeing facsimiles of facsimiles facsimiles of facsimiles being used in the context of marketing and i think i think that does a huge disservice to the real practitioners of those kind of um Ah, of those disciplines and i actually think a lot of the time it just results in bad data yeah yeah well i mean marketers we're very quick to grab a a fancy word or a you know (laughs) or pull in something from somewhere else like you know everybody's an agile marketer now for example and yet agile itself is is quite a discipline i know that you're thinking about this much more deeply but it's the same kind of thing isn't it that we grab hold of these terms and we and we apply them to something that's that's perhaps not being done to the fullness of that discipline the reason i'm sensitive to it is i think there's a lot of there's a lot of consultants in the world that don't know very much right (laughs) i don't actually see it as their business to know very much like don't invest in themselves in that way at all. They go into organizations and do do actually quite a lot of harm because mm-hmm. they're good at selling what they do, but they don't really have the knowledge in order to be able to add value in the context in which they're being able to add value. So they just say stuff and then it yeah. kind of causes damage. So I think I think there is something about, for me anyway, it's like the very best marketeers I've seen at work are people who view it as a discipline as a professional Mm -hmm. discipline as a practice which is how i view consulting is as a practice because implied in practice is the idea that we're going to be better at it this time next year than we are today and we're better at it today than we were this time last year so so for me and it is then the investment of the investment in skills and domain knowledge again you know in the context of that discipline that practice that that helps those people be brilliant at what they do bad marketing i think just spins around like a sort of crap spinning top <laughs> uh, you know around yeah. loads of things oh it's agile oh let's do yeah, some ethnography yeah. oh, yeah. behavioral psychology yeah why don't we do that do you know yeah. what i mean and, and yeah. actually a lot of the time what it ends up it ends up producing is, is stuff that isn't fully fit for purpose yeah yeah no that's fantastic thank you phil and um as we conclude this particular as it seems to be a first part in a two-part series um uh, where can where can people find you if they spin the dial on the interwebs uh go to corporatepunk.com we're also um and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next episode we're also launching a or have launched a leadership development program for senior execs who are looking to improve how they lead and manage change in their organizations how they mobilize some of the skills they've got in a slightly broader organizational development context which touches on some of the stuff we've been talking about ian so that's on the website as well it's called yeah. change course um and that is uh, available for booking now it's really really interesting execs and organizations already booked on that as well so something to definitely look at but yeah start with corporatepunk.com have a look at the change course 
And, um, you know, we're also all over, all over Twitter and LinkedIn. Not that hard to find anything on the internet these days. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And we'll discuss that a little bit more in the, in the next episode. So I look forward to having you back. And uh, thank you very much, Phil. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you, Phil. Fascinating conversation, some really interesting points. And of course, I'll include all the links we discussed in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. You really should check out the Corporate Punk website. It's very different. And we'll hear the second part of that interview next week. I hope you join us. Right. It's Friday evening here at the Rockstar CMO Penthouse in London. It's time to wind down with a drop of the hard stuff and reflect on one marketing thought for the week. And who better than my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, to do that with? Let's go and see if he's in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's so good to be here. Well, tonight we have one of the most complex drinks um, we have ever talked about. Uh, it's this fancy thing that you may not have heard of. It's called Guinness. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's, it's made with, this cocktail is made with one thing, which is a, 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 a liquid called Guinness. Um, and you basically need to pour it into a glass and it's called Guinness. That's brilliant. That really is brilliant. And it keeps in the theme of your health tonics. That's right. I mean, it is. Absolutely right. It's it's much more healthy for you than a regular beer. Yes. You're you're going to get all of the health that you can get out of a wonderful Guinness. Well, um, let me have a look in my bar and see what I've got. (laughs) Have I got a Guinness? Um, Is... Well, um, gin is a bit like Guinness in that um, I think that they, you know, Guinness comes from the London Porter and gin is made in yeah. London, right? So they must it have something is, in common. It also, it's also popular in Ireland as yeah, well. Yeah, so. exactly. So let's have a little slurp of this here, gin. Now, I know you've got to sort of pour it and wait and all that sort of thing, haven't you? That's right. It does have a bit of a, yeah. uh, of a, a foam to it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can replicate some of that with um, uh, ice. And, uh, well, I need some fizz in this, don't I? Uh, it's just gin isn't really like Guinness. So tonic, do you think that'll give us the fizz we need? I, I, I'm not sure it's going to give you the head that you want, but I, it will give you the fizz for sure. Yeah, and um, if I remember Guinness correctly, uh, it's, 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 it's usually a darker drink, isn't it? It, it, slightly, yes. Yes, yes. My, <laughs> mine, mine doesn't have any of that darkness, but I'm going to give it a go. Let's see. Oh, that's good. That's very refreshing. I don't think it's got quite the iron count in it that you've got with your Guinness there, mate. But that's uh, that's very nice. And and I could drink these every week, as uh, as you've probably noticed. <laughs> I, I, I have noticed that you, you tend to be on a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd, I'd like to guess where we're going to drink this beautiful pint of Guinness. I know where I would choose. Uh, where are we going to go for this pint of Guinness? Pint? Well, I mean, when you're drinking a Guinness, there is no other place mm-hmm. than Dublin. No, right? we, have to, we have to go to Dublin. There is, I have been uh, a couple of times in, um, in, in the last few years. Of course, I haven't been recently. 
but what a I just love that little town. I mean, it's just fantastic. And by the way, gro- the last time I was there, I mean, they could barely contain themselves the amount of growth that little city yeah, has seen. That's true. Just a, it's a happy little place right now. Yeah, yeah. And I've um, I've actually worked in Dublin and spent time in Dublin, and I've. I've drunk Guinness since I was 17, which is why I thought it was so funny when you said it. And I, <laughs> here I am uh, making a gin and tonic. Um, and uh, <laughs> I actually, my first billable day as a um, consultant way back when I did supply chain was, was with Guinness at, the, at where, where they used to brew it. Um, they used to brew it in North London. And, and I was there for that. And I've also spent a lot of time in Dublin. And I love it. I love it there. And I was working with this team from a consultancy company who swore like troopers all of the time and i'm not even going to try and impersonate the accent but you know what i mean and um yeah and because i also i come from a town uh, i i lived a lot of my life in a town in england that's got a high irish community so i know lots of irish yeah. people uh, but anyway and they 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 just swear every other it's almost like a syllable it's like yes Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Syn- it's a syllable. And they it say, makes me smile. Every, yeah. I can't listen to that. Anyone yeah. Yeah. speak with that, yeah. that lilt, yeah. that, that wonderful Dublin lilt. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what's coming out of their mouth. I smile. Yeah. Right? They could be cursing me out, <laughs> but I would be smiling. <laughs> and then I would work with this group of consultants. They were talking like that. And as soon as we were in front of the client, somehow they would stop. And I didn't know how they could do that. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't control my language that well. And I just, I thought it was so, it was such, such a, such a jolly place, as you say. And then in front yes. of the client, the swearing stopped, and then they were, they were on. And then as soon as they were out, off they go again. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed working there. So um, we are presumably in one of those incredibly cozy bars in, in Dublin. Are we? Are we? Are we? Are we overlooking oh, a yeah, lake or something yes. like that? Oh no, no, absolutely, yes. yes. I mean, there are so many to choose from, but yes, yes just pick one, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And we're there, and then and we're enjoying the crack, and uh, <laughs> what? And and if we could hear ourselves, what are we talking about? You know, I think what I'm thinking about this week, and and what would be a fun conversation, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's one that I don't have an answer to. Oh. Um, you know, it's a question that I have right now that I'm just pondering, and a few Guinness might help Ooh. us get to some sort of conclusion on it. But it's about reorgs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many of the businesses that we're starting to hear from in marketing, they're, they've either just been or are just starting another reorganization. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering why. Why we're always, you know, why do we separate out digital marketing in 2020? Mm. Is the CMO job too big now and we have to sort of stretch it out over multiple offices? Why are we restricting how marketing and sales teams work together and completely and always in some sort of state of reorganization? There's always Mm. sort of some feeling or state of discomfort in the way that the business is organized in marketing and sales and communications and PR and social media and digital and yeah. all of that. And it just feels like nobody's cracked it, right? Nobody's yeah. actually cracked the idea of how it, how a business should properly be organized in a sales and marketing capacity. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I think the best example I see of that um, with my experience with uh, working with software vendors is the, is the BD team. You know, they're, they're always flipping in and out of sales or marketing, you know, of, of, um, and, and 
that's really the rub, isn't it? It's where it's how that lead flow happens, and at what point it becomes something that's nurtured by marketing or nurtured by um, by, by sales. And obviously, I'm I'm heavily in, you know leaning towards B two B organisations here, and you've probably got a much broader purview than I have. Um, but that seems to be always the thing that's that's almost monthly moving in and out of sales and marketing. Yeah, it's it's. Um... It's it's one of those it, you know I mean it's it's funny because you you don't hear about this in finance right no <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, yeah the once every six months reorganization of the finance team yeah <laughs> you know or or procurement or the legal department or True. you know it, it, and you know I I I have yet to hear somebody go oh yes I'm in the finance department and now they've com- they've, they've moved us to a completely decentralized model yeah where. We're actually off on business units for fine. It's like, no, no. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, why are we constantly mucking about with trying to figure out, you know, and I'm not necessarily saying we shouldn't reorganize, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out it, it, it seems inevitable that every team I talk to in marketing, quite frankly, they're, they're doing one of three things. Mm. They're either preparing for a reorganization so they're not doing a lot Mm -hmm. they're implementing some sort of reorganization Mm -hmm. or they're just on the heels of some reorganization (laughs) and they're redeploying all the technology to fit yeah and they're really not sure who's doing what (laughs) right and so (laughs) it just feels like there's something awry there i again i have no good answers for this but i just thought i'd call it up so while we're drinking guinness yeah no i love it and i I, but i think it's part of the i want to say the word disrespect of the craft but that's not quite right when you when you compare thing when you compare it to finance or to legal or one of those one of the other disciplines within the business i think they have such a rigid structure that everybody has such a faith in and, and um, uh, that, that that to change it would be crazy, but, but in marketing and sales, it seems like, well, let's try this, let's tr- let's change that, and nobody values the, the the what's been built up in terms of the customer data and the insight and all of the currency of marketing isn't as valued, all the content, um, the currency of marketing isn't as valued as as the actual finance money, right? Do you see what I mean? I, I think it's the mystery of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the it's it, marketing has always remained mm. a bit of a mysterious black box yeah. for most businesses, right? They yeah. you know never quite solved it. Um, and you know, sales is is is, is frequently in that bucket too yeah. because both combine as much art as they do science, mm. um, and so it becomes very hard. You know, someone said to me the other day. They said their boss. Um, looks at marketing like there should be a tool for that, right? Yeah. In other words, every single challenge they come up with, the boss asks, well, is there a tool to solve that? And wow. the answer to that is no, yeah. there's not yeah. a tool to solve marketing, you know, writ large. You know, yeah. it's as much about how creative and innovative and, you know, um, uh, quite frankly, improvisational that mm-hmm. you are as much as it is about how scalable measurable algorithmic you are and it's i think it's that to me is always why we're always messing with it Mm. it's because we're always trying to figure out you know well if i just touch it over here will it be better if i fuss with that over here you know it's almost like the you know the the 
the vase full of flowers that you can never get quite right. right you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and um, uh, you know, I'd go to the. I don't know why I went to a florist metaphor there. But, um, <laughs> it's each their own, Robert. Each their own. Yeah. I um, yes. I, and to the point about is there a tool for that? I, I would, I would go to the bar and get another tray of Guinnesses for that one for sure. Because, um, is that what marketing is becoming? You know, the 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 Martech has has eaten marketing. You know what I mean? Like. Well, we must be able to find a tool for that. That just that, that just seems to be such the wrong approach. Oh, indeed. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there was a there was not too long ago an organization that basically says that you know Martech is marketing, and it's like no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. Martech is nothing without the people and content that fill yeah. it full of interesting and wonderful ideas. Yeah, yeah. And do you um and just a li- little bit on that, you just triggered something in that point about is there a tool for that? Is do you do you find some clients that have, that uh, want to talk about strategy, but actually already have in mind the tool they want to use? <laughs> well, what do you think the answer to that question is? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've already got the. They already think they know the tool for that, and uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where um, it's you know, it's the classic, um, you know our problem is so unique. Our problem is yeah. like, unlike any, anything anyone has ever seen before. Yeah. And of course it's not, no. you're, you know, it doesn't matter. Your problem is like so many others. And, yeah. um, the, the, the challenge usually comes to some kind of what is the balance of how you are looking at checking the boxes and doing the things that you know, are, are part of the machine Mm -hmm. that is built Mm -hmm. for the organization, Mm -hmm. um, versus how much are you breaking things and, 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 um, you know, and and trying and trying new things. And in many ways, I guess reorgs are that, right? Yeah, I guess they are are indeed breaking the marketing process and starting over and trying new things. But they are so disruptive. Mm. I just, I, in many ways, I wonder, this is why I don't have any good answers for them because, you know, in many ways they are probably a good reboot and a refresh of where our creativity lies. Mm. But in in others, they just seem so disruptive around the politics and the culture and and everything else that it just seems like that people are in a constant state of, I'm not sure who does that, right? Yeah, yeah. Is, is this something to do? I mean, normally we're wrapping the conversation up by now, but this is such a good one, uh, Robert. Um, is it something to do with the tenure of the CMO? That, 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 that you know, and you... Well, I think that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you have this whole... Right now you have this, you know, I mean, I, I think the research just came out and it's, you know, it always flutters around the 36 to um, 40 month mm. range of the average tenure. And, you know, and now you have, and you and I have even discussed this before, is sort of this, um, you know, you've got articles coming out saying the CMO job is too big. Yeah. And you've got companies that have now abandoned the idea of the yeah. CMO. By the way, those same companies are now coming back yeah. around to the idea of the CMO. Yeah. Um, and I think you have, the, you know, a stability in leadership, you know, is, is truly, I think, a really undervalued thing in mm-hmm. marketing. Mm-hmm. Um and, and truly, I believe that because so many businesses I go into, especially the newer, bigger businesses, right? So your big high-tech startups, as an example, yeah, um, where the marketing organization is you know, purposely designed to be so flat that 
literally no one can draw an org chart. Oh, um, wow. And, 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 and that's an absolute truth. I mean, I, yeah. I went into one of the biggest high-tech startups on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know the name. Mm-hmm. And I said to the head of marketing there, draw me an org chart of your marketing organization. And she couldn't do it there because it doesn't exist. Basically, oh, wow. everybody sort of just does stuff. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, yeah. and so, you know, people are in charge of channels and people are in yeah. charge of content and people are in charge of this, but they're not in charge of it. They just do that stuff. Yeah. And they sort of get, you know, requisite, you know, um, uh, consensus mm-hmm. on the directions that they want to go. And that becomes sort of the, initiatives that they put into place but there's no mm. marketing plan there's no leaders creating you know the, a, a plan for them to follow mm. it's and it and it doesn't work i i, no. I maintain it doesn't work no. and, and you know it, it's not the most effective or efficient way to operate yeah it's just a bunch of hamster wheels yeah that's yeah, right yeah. That's exactly right it's funny and it's, so what you end up doing is gaming the system for your own benefit yeah. right uh, you end up you end up making content because that's how you're KPI. Yep. So what do you do? You just, I just make content. I create campaigns. Yeah. Hey, look, I ran 37 campaigns this year. Yeah. yeah and how yeah. successful were them? Doesn't matter. My KPI was to run 35 campaigns. Yeah. yeah. And look at this. I posted a cat video on our homepage and now I have <laughs> millions of views. <laughs> and it got 150,000 <laughs> likes. Right. And that means I got engagement. Therefore I get my butt. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, Maybe this is the contrast between the clients that we have, but I'm working with quite a small client, um, and they have uh, they have exactly the same thing. They have uh, five or six people around uh, the people running the company, each of them tasked with a small part of marketing, and each of them until recently were just running around in their own little hamster wheel, and it was incredibly disjointed. And competing with each other, yeah, too. Yeah, and incredibly inefficient as well. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I I, I think this is uh, yeah, it's a, a, an incredibly good point. What what a wonderful start! I, I I'm sure that I need to go and get another tray of Guinnesses, but I need to let you go. I think Robert for this week. Um, where might people find you if they were hadn't had as much Guinness as we've had? <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly wouldn't find me after a number of Guinnesses at my website. Um, but in any other normal day, you might find me there, uh-huh. um, which is uh, contentadvisory.net. Right. And uh, you are Robert underscore Rose on Twitter. Oh, yes. And I'm easy to find on all the socials. So I'd love to connect with each and every one of you. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Thank you, Robert. And will I see you again next week? You will indeed. Oh, I look forward to that. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you, Robert. If you want more Robert, and let's face it, who doesn't, seek out his regular weekly podcast called The Weekly Wrap. And of course, I will include a link to that, to Robert's agency and his cocktails in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. All right, then, that's it. The end of episode 23 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Thanks again to the corporate punk Phil Lewis, to Robert Rose and to Keith Smith for his wonderful articles and to our Rockstar CMO contributing community who make our little monthly publication what it is. 
But most of all, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them and take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time. So please show them a little of our community love. If you like the show, would like to help answer the question of whether the world needs another effing marketing podcast, drop us some feedback or a review, subscribe, share or just listen. I'm glad you're here. Next week, we have the second part of our interview with Phil as we continue to explore why CMOs don't make it to CEO. But until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor at rockstarcmo.com, and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.